That won't make the recording, by the way. Better than I'll fucking kill you. Step one, step wall, or excuse me, come one, come all. Step, step one, forward. step one. <laughs> step one, step redfish, bluefish, step forward. <laughs> we are ready to do our due diligence here. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. <laughs> yes, I was, I've been saving that pun for way too long. Don't, don't worry about it. Welcome to the cursed episode that we've been waiting to do for so long. Yeah, there's uh, been delay after delay, and then we came, sat down to record today, and then we had a ghost in the machine, so... Um, you know. Yay! We figured out how to get it to record, though. Yeah, so we're we're still here. Everything's fine. Uh, a few of our mic buttons are miscolored, and it's freaking us out. But other than that, uh, we we should be fine. We're we're cool. And so, if you didn't pick up on that, we are doing Bob Dylan, the Holy One, yes. our Lord and Savior of Dude. Check out this song. Yes, the the exalted one of this podcast. We uh, are not worthy. All, we have like several like mascots of the podcast, all of them musicians, but this is the only one who hasn't had an episode before they became <laughs> the exalted one. Right. I mean, the only other one that's getting close to that is Tom Waits with his few meager mentions. But, yeah, uh, no, we pretty much made sure to mention Dylan in every episode, so... Here it's you time. go. Now we just get to talk about him. It, it really is time that we get into it and really, uh, you know, share the experience that we have. Because me and Ian grew up together when we were like, you know, or, you know, when we were really coming around as musicians, Bob Dylan was such a huge inspiration on us. Yeah, not just musicians, but, you know, as friends and music lovers, really. Yeah, exactly. Just these albums are so good. And most people are going to have a really, um, I don't know, like a like a comedically satirical uh, version of him in their head already. Oh, and you mean the... Yeah. So I ask at least all of our fans to take a second and not really, like, immediately go to the Bob Dylan that you think of being satirized. You're on, like, I don't know, The Simpsons or whatever it may be. He's been on everything. Like He's how been many... satirized on King of the Hill, remember? Yeah. He had a conversation with Boomhauer. <laughs> yep, exactly. It's, uh, it's, it's a well-known thing. And we're going to, you know, we'll do our fair uh, share of making fun of him. But uh, we've earned that right. And I think just to make sure that you guys don't turn this all into a joke, just feel free to actually, like, you know, take some interest here. Because, honestly, Bob Dylan is a fantastic musician that plays over, like, several genres, even in his good era. And then if you want to expand his career that goes 60-something albums. Well, his actual studio albums is 37. But, you know, he's got, what, a million bootlegs out there? Yeah, he's he's got 10 bootleg albums alone and then so many, like, unreleased. And it, it the numbers of actual albums that Bob Dylan has under his belt is astronomical. <laughs> the number of songs he scrapped just to get 37 is crazy. Yeah, he threw away more songs than most musicians will ever make, so... 
This is like Frank Zappa level of albums. Yeah, exactly. And, the, <laughs> and we're going through each and every one, guys. Get ready. Yeah, so strap yourselves in. Uh, it, it might be a little bit of a long episode, but uh, that's because he deserves it. Our Lord and Savior and God Emperor of Do Check Out This Song, Bob Dylan. We actually aren't doing each and every episode, so don't... <laughs> yeah, you, don't, we're don't not start re- hyperventilating, please, yeah, guys. We're not it's releasing good. a 24-hour episode. <laughs> So I want to start this episode with a quote from folk singer S. David Cohen, formerly known as Dave Blue, who liked to recall, Dylan used to tell us that he came out doing it, out of the womb, singing and playing and writing. And that's such a good quote. And it truly is kind of the the essence of Bob Dylan. We'll get into his young childhood here in a moment, but he starts so early and like decides to be a musician and is truly single-minded about it. Well, and so Robert Allen Zimmerman, yes, that's right. Bob Dylan's last name is not, did not start out as Dylan. It started out as Zimmerman. Yep. Good old Robert Zimmerman. (laughs) He was born in Duluth, Minnesota, May 24th, 1941. That's right. Was not born in New York. To parents Abram and Beatrice Zimmerman. He comes from a Jewish family of Ukrainian descent on his father's side and Lithuanian on his mother's side. Apparently also has some Turkish roots. I can't remember who it is, but there's also a musician we've covered that had that uh, birthday previously. Just because it's a family member of mine, I remember asking you to cut the portion out when I said, Hey, that's my, you know, blank's birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I've gone through so many birthdays at this point, I don't know who you're talking about. Well, there you go. It does not matter. And so Dylan lived in Duluth until he was about six years old. His father would contract polio and his family had to move to his mother's hometown, Hibbing. There, his father had an electric goods store where he had his first job as a sweeper. So can you see little Bob Dylan just sweeping the store for his dad? Yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, if especially if you guys even just look at the cover of his first album, you could see how truly baby-faced he is. Like, oh, yeah. The Bob Dylan you, you know now is not the Bob Dylan on the cover of his first album, <laughs> which is still many years from now. That face you. came from years of smoking, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he earned that one. <laughs> one puff at a time. And so it was here in Hibbing where he did 10 high school and had his first girlfriends, Gloria and Incho. Okay. Oh, yeah. Incho? E-N-C-H-O. Oh, well, I, I mean, that's like a, it's a weird name. Because this is still like the 50s, right? Yeah. So that's kind of a, that's an early, uh, early year to have a really experimental name in America. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Maybe it was a common name. I wonder if that was common. That'd be interesting. And so apparently they would inspire his first verses and poems. You know, nothing like a broken heart to start writing poetry. As it were, as it were. I believe uh, women probably inspired most of my first works as well. (laughs) If it wasn't for music, I might not ever get laid. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, that's that's fairly true, I think, for all of us. (laughs) Music is a bit of a, uh, it's a helper. You don't even have to play. You just have to listen to the right music. And so, yeah, in childhood, he'd show great interest in music and poetry. You know, he first started playing piano. I couldn't find an exact age, but, you know, he learned piano at a young age. And a lot of his musical inspiration at this point would be Hank Williams, Little Richard, Elvis Presley, and Johnny Ray. As most were, uh, although Johnny Ray is the first time he, this is the first time he's gotten a mention at it all is on a, It is the first time. 
I mean, we might what, might as well just throw his ass in the beat boop boop machine at this point, <laughs> just because of his reference here. Here we go, Johnny Ray. Boop 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 boop. And so, 1955, at the age of 14, Bob Dylan would actually get his first guitar. Yeah. And so it surprised me to find out that he started playing piano first. You know, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's briefly mentioned in a really uh, great documentary. If you guys find interest, you should check out No Direction Home. It that is, is a great documentary. It's such a such a fine documentary of Bob Dylan, and it's it's while being sappy is also kind of uh, super informational and also correct. There is no inflation of information. It even kind of calls him out on some of his shittier stuff. Yeah, that is true. Well, it is directed by Martin Scorsese. So. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it, we should have to say no more. It's directed by Martin Scorsese. <laughs> and didn't we first watch it when we were living together, like way back in the day? Oh, yeah. That was back in the day when uh, Bob Dylan had a lot of airtime in the apartment. <laughs> and so in 1959, just before he'd roll into the University of Minnesota, he'd do a brief stint playing piano for rising pop star Bobby V. Oh, yeah. But, you know, after that, he'd go to the University of Minnesota where he would start getting his fingers into American folk music. And also continue telling people that he was Bobby V. Oh, I was getting to that. Oh, did I I ruin that for you? (laughs) No, I'm sorry. That's just my favorite part. (laughs) He pretended to be the guy he played with briefly. And so... It was there he would discover the bohemian section of Minneapolis known as Dinky Town. <laughs> Wait, so Dinky Town is like a really cheap, like Greenwich Square, pretty much? Essentially. It's it's <laughs> it's the Minnesota version, so there's a lot more heaters, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, a lot more heaters. Jesus. And New York's cold, too. But. Could you imagine how good that music must have been, though? Like, the... like. I just imagine like Fargo hippies out there like playing some <laughs> folk music. That would just that sounds so amazing. <laughs> hey, I'm about to play my song. Hey, <laughs> that, that turned out a little more Canadian than I wanted, but it's close. Yeah, I mean Fargo guys are like you know mostly Canadian, but they got their own little Minnesota twist to it. I don't know. I'm not even gonna attempt it because that's such a weirdly <laughs> complex accent, and I think you've embarrassed us for enough for both of us. That's one of my jobs. It's on our list of jobs is to embarrass Pat. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, it is actually like third thing on your on your jobs list for the podcast. So it it really is. We should stop setting that professional things out with you uh, annoying <laughs> me as one of your jobs. <laughs> what does Ian do on the podcast? The research, the editing, and annoying Pat. <laughs> yep, that's, that's usually the best part. And it usually starts when he opens his mouth. <laughs> it really starts the moment I have to open the door for you, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I feel so welcome now. Oh, whatever. And so, yeah, it was in Dinky Town where, you know, he'd become fascinated with beat poetry and, you know, Woody Guthrie. Yeah. We've uh, we we've covered a little Woody Guthrie, and we've all showed uh, we've talked about how much we love Woody Guthrie, and that's one of the things that really like it's a through point because Bob Dylan's kind of obsessed with him in his early career. Oh yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit. And so you know he would kind of attend classes, but he would read a lot. He read like all the works by all the famous Greeks: Walt Whitman, Ezra Pound, T. S. Eliot, Ginsburg. T.S. Eliot, shout out. That's some good reading right there. Yeah, you got to read some T.S. Eliot. 
It's not dude, check out this poet, but if but, you're going to check out a dude, dude, it is dude, check out T.S. Eliot. And it was in college that he would change his last name to Dylan, most likely after the poet Dylan Thomas. Hell yeah. And, you know, he would kind of start making up a mythological background about himself. Like he'd tell people that he was everything from an Indian to a hobo to yes, Bobby V. Yep. Claiming to be his, his previous mate. And after hearing a lot of the folk that was coming out here, this is when he really started to be begin playing folk music. Because if you didn't know, his first several bands were rock bands. Yep. Or at least, yeah, he was featuring it. Didn't he, he played a lot of support instrumentation for these rock bands. Yeah, he wasn't really the vocalist. Yeah. Uh, it it wasn't until like the folk era when he kind of started taking the forefront. I think he really liked it because it was something he didn't require a band for as well. I think he just got taken in with the folk sound and, you know. The, How could you not? There's a lot of people who don't like folk music out there, man. I know. There's a lot of people who suck. I understand that. And one of his band names included the Golden Chords and... He'd form another group under the pseudonym Elston Gunn. Elston Gunn? That was a pseudonym? Like, he called himself that? Or yeah, that? that was his stage name. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> so what? Like, if it was Elston Gunn releasing a bunch of stuff instead of Bob Dylan, you might I, not have... Yeah, yeah, no, I don't know if I would have... Uh... Like, fuck that guy. He's got a stupid name. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's, a, if it's like a deal changer, but I think, like, it, it might have had a... Might have been an issue. But yeah, Bob Dylan did not stay at the University of Minnesota very long. He made it through his freshman year, and then after that went to New York. He'd start performing, apparently. His first performance was at a place called Cafe Wa, spelled (laughs) W-H-A, with a question mark. What? Cafe Wa. What? And it was there he would start doing his own versions of his idol, Woody Guthrie. Oh, yes. So is the god of our god our super god? I mean, kind of. I mean, I, I would say that we've got kind of like a, a polytheistic pantheon. I think that uh, Woody Guthrie just is probably like Zeus. Okay. And I think that would be like Dylan would be like an Apollo, I think. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Now I'm just thinking of Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, like we have our own battles, Battlestar Galactica, but with, with folk musicians. <laughs> And so, like we mentioned before in the Woody Guthrie episode, shout out, check it out. Yep, you should definitely check it out if you think this episode's cool. Woody Guthrie would go visit his favorite. Bob Dylan would go visit Woody Guthrie in the hospital who was dying from Huntington's disease. Still, after all these seasons, I have trouble saying that word. (laughs) Yep, and I mean, we did cover this in the Bob Dylan episode, so I'm sorry for any of you who, you know habitually listen to all of our works and they're going to have to hear us repeat a little bit but uh it is also hotly contested whether it actually happened or not well i've got a quote from bob dylan about this oh i know that's he's the one who thinks that it happened but not a lot of other people do (laughs) (laughs) so he would say i was pretty fanatical about what i wanted to do so after learning about 200 of woody's songs i went to see him waited for the right moment to visit him in the hospital and in Morristown, New Jersey, I took a bus from New York and sat with him and sang his songs. That's pretty awesome. If it actually happened, that is very, very cool. <laughs> At it, this point, I think we should just believe it. 
The myth is more fun than the truth anyway. Yeah, I know. And it it truly is, uh, especially if you know our uh, policy on, you know, folklore here, we always prefer the lore over the reality because it really is more important to, uh, I don't know, build a big mythology around your uh, around your favorite it's thing. a brand name for yourself really is yeah, what it exactly. is but well, it, even as like somebody who enjoys it like you know you, you have to i don't know, almost have that suspension of disbelief and so it was here in new york that robert shelton who is a folk music critic for the new york times was getting impressed by bob dylan who was performing at house parties and hoot nannies hoot nannies hoot nannies is in my notes hoot nannies yeah, <laughs> which is like a barn dance, right? So all that a hoot nanny is is an informal gathering with folk music and sometimes dancing. Oh, so a hoot nanny specifically folk music? Yeah, I mean, because I would think so. But bluegrass is that make bluegrass kind of more folk music? Because I know bluegrass would be at a hoot nanny. I just know that because I, I don't know. Or maybe bluegrass adopted the term. Oh, maybe. Hoot nanny is still a cool term. I mean, really, I, it is. I would rather go to a hoot nanny than a party if I'm just if I'm being honest. Do I really got to do the entomology of this word though? I mean, duh. <laughs> and so Bob Dylan would end up like kind of harassing Robert Shelton to write something about him, but Shelton didn't think Bob Dylan was playing the gigs that he thought were worthy of the time's attention. Until September 1961, when he opened for the Greenbrier Boys at Gertie's Folk City. Oh, shit. And he would write a glowing review. And I took a little chunk out of this. It would say, resembling a cross between a choir boy and a beatnik, Mr. Dylan has a cherubic look and a mop of tasseled hair he partly covers with a Huck Finn black corduroy hat. His clothes may be in need of a bit of tailoring, but when he works his guitar, harmonica, or piano and composes a new song faster than he can remember them, there is no doubt that he is busting at the seams with talent. Yeah, which is a really good uh, description of him when he's young because, like I said, if you check out that first album cover, baby face, big old chubby cheeks, he does yeah, kind of he, look... he definitely had a baby face. Yeah, exactly. I, I like that cherubic. I've never heard that before. And so, because of this review, a Columbia Records A&R man, John Hammond, would seek out Dylan, and he'd sign Bob Dylan in the fall of 1961. And just a brief little overview of Hammond, he'd discover people like Buddy Holiday, Aretha Franklin, Stevie Ray Vaughan. So he's like kind of a big deal. Yeah, he could find talent when he saw it. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty awesome. And I'm glad Steve Ravon already got to mention this episode because he's also like the secret like super third that we mentioned slightly every <laughs> once in a while. And so Dylan would go in to record his first album. Oh, yes. And it's, it's a, such a good album. It is a good album. It's a self-titled affair. And the crazy thing about this album is it only contains two of his original compositions. Those would be Talk in New York and Song to Woody, which we mentioned in the Woody Guthrie episode also. Which is such a good jam. So he did mainly covers, like you do the song Highway 51, See That My Grave Is Kept Clean, and going back to our Book of White episode, Fixin' to Die. Yep. So you remember that because of Bob Dylan in this album, 
Booker White became more popular and kind of had his resurgence because of it. Yep. So, yeah, that's kind of a, a really interesting thread that goes back to another episode. I really do like the fact that we've drawn this, like, immense web where we get to, com- like, repeatedly refer back to people we already kind of covered. Build that whole understanding because everybody's oh, yeah, so connected. It, it's all little bricks into the foundation that is Bob Dylan, too. Yeah, <laughs> and not just Bob Dylan, but Bob Dylan's just another brick in the foundation of what is music, you know what I mean? Like, oh, exactly. That's what we get to really explore here, and it, it's every week, it, it's really awesome to sit down and do this. It it makes me smile. And something I didn't know, did you know that Bob Dylan wrote Song to Woody in a bar? Uh, I did not know that. I did hear that he had wrote it on like a napkin, but I did not know that he wrote it in a bar. So... The handwritten lyrics for the song would end up with Bob Gleason and his wife, Sidsel. I don't know if that's a real name, but that's what it says. Yeah. <laughs> what well, makes sense, is it, from what I understand, is he wrote it on a whole bunch of nap. Yeah, I'm, it doesn't mention anything about a napkin here. So this couple, so this New Jersey couple were friends with Woody Guthrie. They'd end up like hosting like a Sunday get-togethers with like a bunch of folk singers and stuff. But on these writings would include the inscription written by Bob Dylan in Mills Bar on Bleecker Street in New York City on the 14th day of November for Woody Guthrie. Hell yeah, that's so fucking cool. I love that song, I really do. Yeah, that is, I mean, it's a great song among an album of great versions of songs that he does too. And it's not even his only like Woody Guthrie tribute song. Oh no, he would do that all through his little folk career. Yeah, I mean, acclimating with, I think, one of the most heartfelt songs that he would have no instrumentation to just be a spoken poem. Last thoughts for Woody Guthrie, but that wouldn't come for a while yet. Isn't the recording of that done at one of the uh, folk festivals that he was in? Yeah, I, 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 I'm not 100% sure off the top of my head, but it is from, from like the mid to late 60s era. Yeah, I think it's definitely from when before he went electric. Yeah, I, I, I feel the, like it is that that per, uh, period when he was super famous before he went, quote, When he unquote, was the great. folk musician. Yeah, exactly. And we'll get to that. Yeah, we're, we're going to get to that. And so Bob Dylan's first record debuted in 1962, recorded for $402. Oh, shit. That was so much money, but he also got so ripped off. That was so little money. Yeah, I know. Like, really. But for, like, that era, that is a lot of money. But also, it's not for... It isn't to for what To actually do, like, a full-length yeah. album. I mean, it would be a lot more back then, the yeah. two. Yeah, it, it really would. But, I mean, it's not the, the $5 that we've heard before, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, but... That was probably like a can in the middle of the room or something. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't Sun Records. It has evolved a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a whole different day. It's not 25 bucks for your song. Come in and record for 25 bucks. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, look at today's day and age, though. You can literally record a whole album for like a thousand bucks and then record every other album for free because you got all the equipment. Yeah, exactly. And even better, I mean, if you're if you're really frugal, you can do the build up and then each album can cost you 50 bucks and it just takes you 10 albums to have everything. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you're a folk musician, you don't need much anyway. Yeah, exactly. You just need your instrument, and that's usually a couple hundred bucks no matter what it is. So anyway, this brings me to my first dude check out this song. Oh, my God. Thank God. 
I'm going to go with Highway 51. Yep. See that my grave is kept clean. Yep. Fixing to die. I'm throwing it down there, too. And talking New York. Oh, those are all fantastic jams. I don't think I have anything to add for that album, just because... You got nothing? No, you, you really you really struck all of the important ones. Uh, see that my grave is kept clean. I'm just going to throw an extra underline on that one, because really, everybody should check that song out. I think I raved about it on another song, too, where I threw it in as the Bob Dylan version, but yeah, just, just listen to that jam. Well, we have mentioned that song in this podcast, so it's probably likely. It is highly likely. And despite the high praise that this album got, it wasn't a big seller, you know, causing some people to question Hammond and whether he actually had an eye for talent. And over the course of 1992, Bob Dylan would start writing a large batch of originals, many of which were his political protest songs, you know, kind of in the same vein of what was going on in Greenwich Village at the time. Oh, yes. And what he would really become famous for. To quote Bob Dylan at this time, he'd say, I wrote a lot of songs in a quick amount of time. I could do that then because the process was new to me. I felt like I discovered something no one else had ever discovered. And I was in a sort of arena artistically that no one else had ever been in before. Now, that's a, that's a little bit of vanity and a little bit of <laughs> confidence right there. Bob Dylan was quite vain, let's yeah. be honest. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And that's one of the things, like... I'm the first to take, you know, my shots at Bob Dylan because I've earned that right by being a fan of his music and memorizing most of his songs and whatever over the years. I get to look at him and be like, and some of the stuff that you do is Bob Dylan-ish, bro. <laughs> well, I found it amazing when we were listening to some of the songs I haven't listened to in years of his. I still have, like, so many of his songs memorized. Yeah, just and you, along to you, you don't even realize it either. They'll come on like the album comes on. I haven't listened to it in five years. Yeah, and I still can remember every lyric. Of the <laughs> it's song. like the old computer up here put the floppy disk in and goes, see, you remember that. Uh, oh, yes. You remember Bob <laughs> Dylan? You will remember it forever. And so his next album, The Free Will and Bob Dylan. <laughs> Free Wheeling is so fucking good and such like a cool word. The Free Wheeling Bob Dylan. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know why, but the title of this album makes it feel like a like a road show. You know, do you get that feeling off of it? Like, I don't know, the free a little bit, a little bit, or like like he's being announced on like a fancy like a late night TV show, like the freewheeling Bob Dylan is here, and he like whoop, 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 like freewheels <laughs> out on the stage. Well, actually, the photo on the album cover. It's an amazing photo. That's actually right in front of his apartment that he got from the money from his advancement for the first one. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I didn't know that until I did this research. Because that's his actual like girlfriend on his arm, correct? I believe so, yes. Yeah, they, it, that's uh, highly, highly covered in that documentary. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to review it right before we did it, so I can't uh... remember all her her name and all that. I couldn't find it anywhere for like a reasonable time. It's not like on any of the streaming platforms. Oh, or yeah. I'll go ahead and listen to it at another or watch it another time and we'll do like an update. Maybe we'll do a Bob Dylan, you know, like anniversary episode a couple seasons from now. Well, and so back to Free Will and Bob Dylan. This album was made over no fewer than eight separate visits to the studio spanning a full year from April 1962 to April 1963. Twelve of the 13 songs on this album would actually be originals such as Blown in the Wind, A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall, Don't Think Twice It's Alright, Girl from the North County, and I Shall Be Free. And so here's the thing about this album. Before its release, it would actually go through several incarnations. 
Dylan had recorded a rock and roll single for this album called Mixed Up Confusion. Huh. And it was recorded at the end of 1962, but his manager, Albert Grossman, made sure that the record was deleted because he wanted to present him as a acoustic folkie. Oh, so he made sure the rock and roll album didn't, or the rock and roll song didn't make it to the album at all? Yeah. That's fucking so hilarious. So this early, he was already planning on recording a rock and roll song, which I did not know. That's and, awesome. And you know that song I sent you? Mm-hmm. That's the song. Oh, really? So that's the song that was supposed to be on the first album? Yeah, and I don't know if that's actually the original recording or not, because it has more of a, like, Bakersfield, like, country sound to me, but... Plus, it's very put together, which yeah. his first album, while being technically proficient in, like, the folk manner, was not put together that way, so... True, but he was, you know, playing with sounds, you know, like... Yeah, he it may took have him been over it. a year to make this album, and it was a folk album. So that's a good point. If he had, if he had a year, he likely did have time to assemble so an actual band portion of it. So that makes sense. And the other thing is, is if you listen to the recording, it does sound like his uh, vocals from like his youth. Because you notice as he gets older, his pitch drops. Oh, absolutely. And as, so, as most and, people's do. And so, yeah, when we were listening to that, that was my focus because it was like, interesting, this might actually be the original of it because he still had that high pitch. He didn't have that low gravelly voice that he got after years of smoking cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the things about that first album is you do definitely feel his youth in there. Yeah, and that's a tip for you out there. If you don't want a low gravelly voice... Don't smoke as much as Bob Dylan did as he did in the 60s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that that's honestly one of the things is you actually see a lot of iconography with Bob Dylan smoking. Uh, it's a big thing about his character in the 60s. And when you look back, you almost ignore it because we're just used to that and we kind of edit it out of our like perception. But Well, right. And a lot of that came from around the time when you know he was at his like peak famous and he was just getting asked all these stupid questions by reporters. Yeah, exactly. Well, on top of that, like there was in photography at the time, there was a huge theme of or taking photos of people with smoke next to them and things like that. So smoking was just a photo opportunity in general. I mean, it is the sixties, so they're probably still advertising it as like the healthy alternative to not smoking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Smoking because we fucking told you to. (laughs) Smoking, because you look cool, bro. (laughs) Oh, my God. And so, yeah, like, there would be a bunch of songs like that that would be taken from this album. Like, even Talking John Birch Society Blues. Which is another fucking amazing song. Which would end up going on his next album. Mm -hmm. This is a really awesome album, but it was just interesting because it made his next album, but... I feel like when you listen to the first album, you get the sense that they were grooming him to be a different musician. And then with the second Mm, album, he had more power. See, I look at the first album as he wasn't comfortable with himself yet as a musician. Well, that would, that's, that may very well be part of it. His, his creative portion may not have been completely fulfilled yet. But then, you know, when you give him a year and the studio, suddenly you're going to get something completely different. Yeah, I I just think he was still looking for his voice, you know. Like, and, and he would continue to do so through his entire life. Yeah, but I think he just wanted to play different styles of music once he figured out what his voice was, and he was like, well, now I need a new one. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that, that makes sense. 
Don't we all kind of feel that way? Any musician, really. Yeah, exactly. Once you master something, it no longer feels fresh and new. So you're always like, oh, I'm going to try something new or look at new things or try other versions of things. And so on May 27th, 1963, Free Will and Bob Dylan comes out. Woohoo! Next, dude, check out the song. You ready yeah. to roll it out? Yeah, let's do it. I got Blowing in the Wind. Yeah, I mean, if you guys don't, if you guys know Bob Dylan at all, you know Blowing in the Wind. And that's why I put it on there, because if you don't know Bob Dylan, that's going to be his folk song that you really got to go to. It's, it's the song that made him truly famous. He was already, like, ascending at this point, but this is the nail in the coffin, or nail in the, the famousness coffin. <laughs> I don't know. And then I got A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall. Another fucking amazing jam. And A Hard Rain's are Gonna, gonna fall. fall. They don't. They didn't come here to hear us sing, Ian. <laughs> Especially not you. Whatever. I did it in my <laughs> Bob Dylan style. Come on now, bro. Yeah, it, was, it was great. It was great. I'm, I'm just making fun of you. I'm jealous of your fantastically angelic voice. <laughs> What's next, dude? Check out this song. We got Don't Think Twice. It's all right. And my personal favorite from this album, Girl from the North Country. Yeah, you, you don't you don't really get better than that. Girl from the North Count, or Country is a... Uh, I don't know, it's so heartfelt. It, it feels a little more country western than you might feel, or most of the album is, but... It has a very Towns Van Zant sound to it before there was ever a Towns Van Zant. Yeah, I, I actually would completely agree with that. And I, I just, we listened to it today and I haven't listened to that song in a decade. And it, it really just brought me back and it, it's just so technically proficient. I didn't even appreciate it in the years when I listened to it a million times until like 10 years later, I've learned so much more. I went back and listened to the song. I'm just like, holy fuck, it's even better than I thought it was. <laughs> like, yeah, that that was one that the appreciation for that song didn't happen until later in life. Like it wasn't until I revisited that album that I was like, oh, fuck, dude, I finally get this song. Yeah, this song is so fucking good. All right, what's next? And then the last one on my list, I Shall Be Free. Yep, I Shall Be Free. We fucking jammed out to this <laughs> one, too. It's super good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely got that, like, old, folky, like, almost Woody Guthrie sound, too, where he's just, like, almost talking over it, and it's like, well, late last night, da, 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 you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Like, it's, sl- a, it's a hilarious song. Yeah, it really is. Slightly funny Bob Dylan in his early career. You just don't beat that. Like, if you can let yourself just enjoy a little bit of, like, because the humor is definitely oriented for people in the 60s. So it's it's kind of hard, you know, at this point, 60 years later. Yeah, I, I had to look up the names he references in that song when I first heard it. I was yeah. like, who is this? Who is this? Who <laughs> yeah. is this? Because he straight up, like, references people, like, throw them under the bus. And it's it's fantastic. And the humor is great. And the musicianship is amazing. And honestly, the way he portrays, like, the whole story song you feel like you go on that little weird Bob Dylan adventure with him. Yeah. So what do you think? How'd I do on this list? Uh, I mean, you definitely hit some really real, real bangers, but God damn it, it's Bob Dylan. There's still so much more. This got Oxford Town on it. 
It does. Masters of War? It does. <laughs> Are those your dude check out I, songs I mean, for this? Yes, you guys definitely should check out at least those two songs. Uh, you should throw it on the list no matter what. There is still more on that album, but I'm. Tr- we should not throw any more on. There's, uh, there's more. <laughs> otherwise, great. you're just going to listen to the whole album. Yeah, otherwise, <laughs> our quote-unquote dude check out the song list at the end of the episode is just going to be his entire discography. Oh, this is easily going to be our largest dude check out the song we're ever going to do. Yeah, and I I recommend you guys listen to all of it several times. Oh, oh, and before we move on, I actually want to add one more. Uh, Karina, Karina is mm. it's it's a whew, it's it's kind of a different style of Bob Dylan's song at this point. That's one of the his things. only cover on the album too. Is it? Uh, I didn't realize it was a cover. Yeah, Karina, Karina is an old traditional. I don't know about traditional, but it's an old blues song. Huh, that's that's makes sense actually. Why it uh, tonally doesn't fit the rest of the album, but fits as well as it does. Okay. Well, well and you know, and Bob Dylan, he probably changed the lyrics to it, but Karina Karina is, I've heard it from several old blues musicians. So Yeah, it makes sense. Like I said, the, the entire tone of the song is not what he was personally writing at the time. So it, it, it being a cover does make a lot of sense. And so with Free Willin' coming out, it would make a huge impact in the U.S. folk community. A lot of performers would start covering songs from this album. And also, he put his girlfriend on the cover of this yeah. album with him. Like, it's him and his girlfriend arm-in-arm arm walking towards you on the cover. It's fucking hilarious. Well, and the most significant band would be Peter, Paul, and Mary. And they would do a cover of Blowing in the Wind. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, we talked about, you know, some of the other songs. Blowing in the Wind is another Bob Dylan iconic song. And one of the, like, big war protest songs that had big hits. Oh, yeah. And with Peter, Paul, and Mary covering it, you know, it would really help Free Will and become, like, the hit of, like, the fall of 1963. Yeah, because Peter, Paul, and Mary had a larger exposure base at that point. They were they were way more fixed. Oh, yeah, the, they, they were uh, already the established. Community. Yeah. And so in July of that year, he would end up being invited to the Newport Folk Festival, where he was crowned leader of the folk music. <laughs> Wait, leader of the folk music? Yeah, it, not literally, you know. Just speaking figuratively. Oh, okay. Yeah. Where he'd solidify his yeah. his place. Okay, that makes more sense. I thought like they were like <laughs> leader of the folk music. It's like a thing we give out every year. Neil, before you, we crown you. <laughs> <laughs> like they hit you with a mandolin on each shoulder. <laughs> some guy, some guy. In the like, name of folk music, you must practice socialism <laughs> <laughs> and speak for your people. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a, it's such a meme because like honestly they always everybody in like the people who uh i don't know target folk musicians with hate it's always socialism they always like socialism they, or communism well but communism's ex- just an extreme vo- version of socialism with some authoritarianism sprinkled on top of it like, <laughs> Sprinkled, yeah. yeah. Sprinkled in quotation marks. It makes Tell that to Mao. <laughs> okay, whoa, whoa. This not dude check out this this disaster. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't I'm not getting into any 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 of that. At least not on this podcast. I think me and Ian need to make like a more historically based podcast, but I think that might be a disaster too. 
That one will be a lot of fun. <laughs> you can do the research on that one, though, because yeah, you are better at history than I am. No, absolutely. I think that's uh, that's only fair because Ian does most of the research on this. I just show up and look pretty most of the time. So. Hey, beep boop machine for a new uh, podcast yeah, idea? Yeah, possibly. Beep boop 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 beetle boop. And yeah, you know, his reigning queen was Joan Baez. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. The good old Joan Baez. I gotta say, I uh, I have a little bit of a crush on like 1960s era Joan Baez. Of course you do. Like, time machine, go back in time, beat up Bob Dylan and become Joan Baez's husband sort of crush. <laughs> <laughs> You're missing one aspect of that, though. What? You've got to be the top of the folk scene. <laughs> you just going to go up there with your accordion being like, dude, I know every Williams and singing. <laughs> I, I already know every song he's going to write. That's going to make him popular. I'll just beat him up and sing all of his songs a few years before he does. <laughs> but with an accordion instead of a guitar. Yep. yep that's, that's how we'll do it guys. I <laughs> Don't worry. If I get if I get the time machine, go back. It changes an alternate reality, so none of you guys will even remember this. So it doesn't matter. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Joan Baez is like a super cutie, uh, ultra like adorable folk singer from the era. And so, in mid to late nineteen sixty three, Bob Dylan would start writing the times. They, they are, are a changing. changing. The times they are changing. <laughs> you do a terrible Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to do the Bob Dylan impression. It's all bad and, and, and negative. <laughs> and so this one, he goes like super political on it. You know, like the last one had Masters of War and like Blown in the Wind and stuff. But this one would be made up of considerably more of his quote-unquote protest songs. Yeah, which is really what he would staple his whole career on, is these quote-unquote protest songs. At least at this point. And, you know, you've got the title track, The Times They Are Changing, you know, that's got some uh, political implications in there. Another song that would really, uh, it would hit the socioeconomic scene for, like, really, really big. Yeah. With God on Our Side... Only a pawn in their game, the ballad of Hollis Brown, the lonesome death of Hattie Carroll. All such fucking good songs. Like the, those dude checkouts right there that Ian just mentioned are probably our best from the whole our whole list here. And I don't mean because this album is the best in general. I mean because those songs specifically that he mentions, I think, is when Bob Dylan is not pretentious at all he hasn't gotten any popularity yet you know his popularity is fairly minimal he wasn't like rolling stones yeah famous, he like, was, yeah exactly on the cover of rolling stone well and the thing i find interesting about this album is especially the songs like ballad of hollis brown and the lonesome death of hattie carroll those are about african-americans yeah and it's they're really really dark songs too they're not yeah, just it, they're not light protest songs this is this is some violent shit Spoiler alert, the two main characters in these songs die, and they're both African-Americans, yeah. and they're kind of protest songs about how they died and how the justice system wasn't on their side. Yeah. Uh, Lonesome Death of Heidi Carroll is essentially about how a uh, rich man with a very fancy cane kills uh, like a, wait or a maid with his fancy cane. Yep. 
And then he gets taken into custody. Yep. And, and then nothing really happens to <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. He barely gets punished at all. And then, uh, so Belle to Hollis Brown is also more like a, <laughs> like a farm tragedy sort of thing. Like, he, he clearly can't pay his bills. Well, yeah, but the song Hollis Brown is actually based off of a true historical event. Oh, that that's awesome. And honestly, that gives it even more pull, if you ask me. Oh, you know what? I totally confused this. This is not the protest song about an African American. This is the one about him killing his family. Yes, that's the yes. This is the one about the the. So I'm I'm getting my my facts mixed up right now. Sorry about that, guys. Okay, so is is Hollis Brown like a white guy? Then I mean, does it matter? I mean, well, it's the one. It's the one where he kills his his family. I I know the song. I'm just so that, but that story is a true story. Yeah. Well, that's that's fucked up. Sorry, guys. Mixing up my folk songs. My yeah, bad. Ian's fucking everything up. But uh, but we definitely know that uh, Heidi Carroll is a, is a song about yeah. a, a wrongful death. So. Yeah, she's actually like a maid of the of their castle, essentially. Yeah. It's a great song. Honestly, it's one of those things like I haven't listened to this album in probably, you know, like, like I said earlier, probably 10 years. But when I'm walking or running or doing my exercise or whatever... If I don't have music in my ears, this song appears in my head probably one out of five times. I could, because I can just, I could sing That's this. a song. depressing way to go jogging, dude. Well, it's, <laughs> I, I think it might be the rhythm of how the vocals go. It, it helps me with, like, keeping. Uh, mm, okay. Because, you know, it's a, it's a very, you know, down to the station. You know, yeah. Just up, down, up, down, up, down. And so the times they are changing would be released on January 13th, 1964, which brings me to my next dude. Check out this song. Of course, title track, Times They Are Changing. Yeah. Only a pawn in their game. Yeah. Ballad of Hollis Brown. Hell yeah. And the lonesome death of Hattie Carroll. Fuck yeah. Now, Pat, did I miss anything? Uh, Yeah, you missed uh, Boots of Spanish Leather when the ship comes in. I know. I had to... Figure out something. Nah, dude. Boots of Spanish <laughs> leather, bro. <laughs> Biggest dude check out this song ever. <laughs> oh, God damn. Yeah. All so, right. Those are going on the list, yeah, too. They better go on the list. Fucking Boots of Spanish leather, man. And also, When the Ship Comes In is super good. And there is... Like that I is said, a good song. Like I said, we should just really put the whole album on there, but that would just be a ridiculously long playlist. So we're not going to fuck with you guys This like is that. already a ridiculously <laughs> long playlist. Yeah, we're only a couple albums. In we these. are literally fanboying over every album, and we're on his third one. <laughs> yep. I mean, and, and that's just the way it is. I know the album or the uh, episode tonight is a little extra long, but yeah, we're, this is going to be a long one, guys. Strap it's, in. It's well worth it because you know it's it's a little it's a little lesson for everybody out there. And I don't think you guys have ever heard us this excited before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you care about us at all, let us be excited. Let us have fun. And so with the times, they are changing. Bob Dylan firmly established himself as the singer-songwriter of the 60s protest movement, and this reputation would only increase as he became involved romantically with Joan Baez. Yes, our cutie from earlier. And now this relationship would only last two years, and both would benefit from each other dating, where Bob Dylan would help her write songs, and she'd introduce him to thousands of fans. Well, and not to mention the fact that, like, uh, a lot of media outlets at the time really kind of iconicized their relationship, and they made it yeah. kind of a, 
you know, two sweeties or, you know, like two, <laughs> two famous sweeties dating yeah. each other. We get to fawn over that kind of situation. Well, with Joan Baez's help, by 1964, he was playing 200 concerts annually. Ooh, that's a lot. That I, is a lot. <laughs> and think about the output he's just about to have coming up, too. Yeah, that's 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 one out of every three days. And that's more like every once in a while you have to do it one out of every two days and maybe even one out of every one day. And that's the only way you make that work. And so what do you do? You're playing all these shows. You're getting famous, touring the world. You make another album, of course. Knock, knock. Who's their new album? Hell yeah. And we've got another side of Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah. he he's a, He's a very much like... He uses his our album titles, at least in the beginning, to almost, like, narrate his adventure. You know what well, I mean? Right. Like, this is the freewheeling Bob Dylan. And then we got the times they are changing. and Which now- is all his political stuff, which, if you think about it, it's kind of a darker tone for that. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. It when, is a much, thing, dar- w- it's a much darker album yeah, than any what, of his work before Well, And that. think about that. When you think of things changing, it's always like a dark image in your head, too. Yeah, exactly. And then you've got another side of Bob Dylan, which there he it's, still has some political songs. It's but so fun and light. It, yeah, there's a lot more silly songs on this. Another side, I think, is like one of those albums. It's a really good listen just like in your ears. You know what I mean? Like we, we've yeah. mentioned working out already, but like it's one of those things like you're, you know, you're doing a little menial work, whatever it may be. Another side of Bob Dylan will keep you going. Yeah, and this album would have songs like All I Really Want to Do, and I just think of the chorus the entire time, where he's like, All I really want to do <laughs> is baby be friends with you. <laughs> and that's, that's one of the big things. Like He catches a lot of flack for his quote-unquote bad singing style, but he purposely is doing that. He's making his voice crackle the same way that uh, Woody Guthrie did, the same way that a lot of these musicians in his contemporary did, because it is an old folk style, more specifically. Especially when you're doing, like, more comedic-style songs. Yeah, exactly. Think about anything Woody Guthrie did that was considered, like, funny at the time. He always overemphasized his voice. And this draws back to something old school with our podcast here. Those crackles and uh, flourishes are imitating the old yodeling style, the old singing cowboy style. It's supposed to be them trying to do that, but purposely doing it wrong for the kind of the meme, I guess, is what it is. Because it's supposed to be, you know, like a referential humor thing. You kind of lose it like 60 years afterwards. That's one of the hardest (laughs) things. Like, you know, uh, one of the things that makes it really hard for people to get into some of this stuff is you do lose those little context stuff because they were closer to actual like this album is closer to gunfighting than it's close than it is to us. You know what I mean? Like, right. Cowboys were gunfighting at the same distance. This (laughs) album is from us. You know what I mean? Yeah. At least it's like the same distance it's kind of like when you think about like when you hear that saying that cleopatra is closer to us than when the uh pyramids were built yeah it really does show that uh the speed of history is so interesting like the farther we go as a world the the faster like our evolution speeds up we used to take like 60 years 100 years 200 years 300 years to have like a social evolution in our modern day and age Every country is having one every few years. Like, it's, it's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> but let's get back on track, man. So 
Yeah, this, this, album, this, uh, this episode's already long. <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> this this isn't do check out this philosophical thinking right now. Yeah, not till next time. <laughs> but then this album also has songs like Chimes of Freedom, you know, one of his more serious songs, My Back Pages, I Don't Believe You, It Ain't Me, Babe. <laughs> it ain't me, babe. <laughs> which is like the opposite of a love song, which I love. Yeah, it's, it's a really good song. It's, it's, it's fucking fantastic. And then I snuck one up in here that I totally forgot about. Motorcycle Nightmare. Oh, Motorcycle Nightmare is like a fever dream. Yeah. I fucking forgot that song existed too. But it starts it so with that good. classic story of, you know, him getting abandoned in like his... His motorcycle breaks down on a farm, and oh, the that, farmer's yeah. like, "You can, you can have free reign in this place. Just don't touch my daughter." Yeah, it's like the <laughs> beginning of a bad joke, and it just gets so fucking good after that. Oh, that better be making the dude check out this song. And so, on August eighth, nineteen sixty four, another side of Bob Dylan releases, and you know what that means? Another set of dude check out this song. Yeah, lay it down. And so we got all I really want to do. We got My Back Pages, I Don't Believe You, and yeah, Motorcycle Nightmare made it. How am I doing with this list? So actually, you kind of nailed it with this one. I've only got two editions, which is, I mean, probably still a lot for such a short album, but you uh, you don't have the, Sp- the Spanish Harlem incident. I thought about putting that one on, but I knew you were going to add stuff to this, and this list is already ridiculously long. And another so. legendary Bob Dylan song, It Ain't Me, Babe. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't put that one on my list. This is going to be another song that I would put on the top 10 for popularity of Bob Dylan songs. This is another one that culture locked on to. Yeah, well, and then, like, you got Johnny Cash co- doing a famous cover of it and yep. stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's well worth the mention. So in 1965. Oh, this my God, 65, such a good year. We've this, went- yeah, no, this is his most scandalized year like by far if you've followed us we actually mentioned this whole event in another episode i don't think for any reason at all i don't think it was really properly uh part of the episode but we were just so excited about talking to (laughs) that it really this is such a cool thing and so come on ian uh, i'll let you you crack into it before i ruin the whole thing for everybody (laughs) and so first of all in march 1965 Bob Dylan releases his fifth album, Bringing It All Back Home. Yep, which is, uh, but once again, the the name of the album really kind of builds his whole career. You know what I mean? You get it. You get another side of Bob Dylan. Now he's bringing it all back home. He's going to go back to where it started, back to his roots, you know? And you know what those roots are? What are they? Fucking rock and roll. Yeah, exactly. And they, they, that doesn't make any sense unless you know the fact that he wanted to record rock and roll since day yeah. one and no one let him. And we never knew that till now. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, we did kind of know with the fact that Bobby V was technically a rock and roll artist. And, uh, you know, I know that. Well, his first bands were rock and roll, mm-hmm. but we didn't know we actually tried to record a rock and roll song earlier. Yeah. That, we did not know that until very recently. I didn't know that until you told it to me today. So that's for sure. And so the reason why it was so controversial is because the first half of this album was backed by a nine-piece band. <laughs> nine-piece band. Yeah. That's a and, lot of band. And so this is the first time anybody's heard Bob Dylan where it's not just him and his guitar. Yeah, or and, may, or maybe a drum set. There was some drum set and, like, I think a bass before that. 
No, I, I mean, there, there absolutely has to be because there, you know, we have like a, oh shit, like none of, <laughs> okay, I might be wrong. Yeah, no, it was just, it was him solo up until this point. Okay, yeah. no, I was, I was mixing some of his later albums into my, okay, go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I've, I, I've stopped this for nothing. I literally watched the uh, loading circle go around Pat's right there. Yeah, as I as I downloaded all of this, like, oh no, 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 no. And the second half was still him acoustic, but you know, it's like he's supposed to be a folk musician. That's a fucking sin. Yeah, and this is this is when folk music and rock and roll music were adversarial. We nowadays we live in a post Bob Dylan nineteen sixty five world where. We understand that folk music and rock music are the same fucking thing, and they just kind of roll together depending on how much you want to add of each piece. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's part of the American experience, but in 1965, much like the things and the people that are uh, prevalent in this era are uh, not apt to bend at all. No. Oh, no. They do not like things. If you were a rock and roll musician, you were a rock and roll musician. If you were a folk musician, you were a folk musician. And if you were a rock and roll musician who played folk music, you were a rock and roll musician who was also hated by both. And that's just unfortunately the way it was. But because of it, we get one of the coolest fucking events in rock and roll slash folk music history. Yeah, and so bringing it all back home would have songs like Subterranean Homesick Blues, which has this cool, like, I don't know if that's, like, the first music video ever, but he's got those little cue cards of, like, parts of the lyrics in it. Yeah, it's not the first music video ever, but it is a, a, I don't remember what it is, but it's one of the few first music videos of a certain type. And then he would do Maggie's Farm. Oh, this song is legendary. Yeah. this 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 song is so fucking good. Mr. Tambourine Man. Uh, nobody knows that song at all. It's not. <laughs> I mean, Mr. Tambourine Man, I would say, is probably his abjectly most famous song because most people would know it right. without knowing him. Well, and then I have to mention this one because if I didn't, you would, like, execute me upon the spot. Probably. It's all right, Ma. I'm only bleeding. Yeah, this this song is fucking amazing. It is uh oftentimes has gotten me through some of the hardest points in my life, but this song is just so fucking good. Yeah, my earliest memories of you once you start getting into like folk music and stuff was of you just like obsessively listening to this song over and over and over again. Oh yeah. No, I absorbed this song. Uh there was uh, there's multiple songs in this uh, album alone, but just in this era of Bob Dylan that I was just like, nope, I need to not just memorize this song. I need to make sure that I can never forget it. Like it's like, you know, pasted onto my genetic memory now or something. And supposedly he was inspired to start playing rock and roll because of a particular cover version of one of his songs, oh. House of the Rising Sun. Oh, right. And By so a particular supposedly, band. This, yeah, this is supposedly that he was convinced to start playing rock and roll because the animals did a version of his House of the Rising Sun. Yep. And, and so I think then it clicked. He goes, oh, I can actually play rock and roll. Yeah, and I mean, I it's kind of ironic. We didn't mention House of the Rising Sun at all when we passed it. No, we didn't because we talked enough about it. Yeah, we have definitely covered it enough, but there was a version of House of the Rising Sun that he did previously. And if if you don't know that, that means you have listened to not enough of the uh, episodes of what we have done. And I'm not shaming you, 
but a little for bit. shame. There's okay. God damn it, Ian is shaming you. Okay, I'm shaming you too. And so on July 25th, 1965, he would perform at the Newport Folk Festival. Oh yes, a legendary day. And and this is another time machine day. Yeah. This is another day where if I had a time machine, I'm I'm dialing this in. And on this day, he decided to perform electric. <laughs> to everyone's dismay. Oh, yeah. He got booed. Okay, but only... Okay, so to everyone's dismay, I mean by only about 50% of the crowd was upset. There, only the hardcore guys were upset, but all the musicians and all the, the people who sat on the festival were all very, very, very mad. <laughs> well, like a lot of the fans would yell out "sell out" and "gone commercial" to him, you know. Yep. Uh, let or uh, historically, Pete Seeger would grab an axe and attempt to cut the main power line. That's exactly where I was going with this. Too. Oh my god, that is such a good anecdote, Pete Seeger. Yeah, Pete, the Lord. He was so angry that that he was committing the sin of playing rock and roll. <laughs> but Pete Seeger actually has an excuse. He blamed it on the poor sound quality. <laughs> That's a backpedal. I didn't mind. I didn't mind him playing rock and roll, but uh, I just, you know, I didn't like that. It didn't sound good enough, so I was gonna kill everyone with an axe. He says he told the audio technician get that distortion out of his voice. It's terrible. If I had an axe, I chopped the microphone cable right now. So oh. he says it never happened. So he claims there was never an axe. He just mentioned an axe. Yes. While I'm pretty sure several other people have claimed there was an axe. I really hope there was an axe. Mythologically speaking, we're going to go with the better story. So he did have an axe. Yeah, exactly. When we remember it as you check out the song, Pete Seeger wielded an axe and probably did like some sweet spins with it. Yeah, and Seeger would go on to say... He only wanted to cut the cables because he wanted the audience to hear Dylan's lyrics properly. <laughs> and that's, that is like, that is such a cop out. Cause he would be like, he just, I just want him to hear the lyrics. Cause that's what Dylan's so good at and famous for. I think within this story, there's some revisionist history and some misremembering. Yeah. I think they all got blended together. And so people I, remembered what they wanted. I don't see Pete Seeger picking up an ax. For anything, because no, he just—he's got I a can sweet see him old being man vibe. Yeah, I can see him being angry, but I don't know, man. Like seeing him actually get like aggressive—that is very out of his character. What it more sounds like is this was going on, and Pete Seeger was probably like doing his best to be all right with the situation, but <laughs> but he could, yeah. but. But the, the distortion on the voice fucked it up for him because Pete Seeger is a vocal musician that is a vocal f uh, folk musician where it's all about the lyrics. So with the little bit of overdrive that was on his vocals, I assume that it would well, fuck up the... He wouldn't be able to understand every word, so it would fuck his experience up. Well, it was also a folk festival, so they probably weren't equipped to deal with... That amount of noise. That's actually a fairly good point. I bet you their equipment was not handling that the full. Because didn't he like not reveal the band at all until the very last moment and like everything like the, the screen went up and he had a five piece and everyone's like. <laughs> and then he just kicks right into fucking whatever song it was. 
Well, and that's kind of the story of when he first started touring electrically, too, is he'd play in these venues where it wasn't exactly supportive of what he was trying to do. Like, it didn't have the right acoustical properties. You know, he'd play in those, like, old concert halls where, you know, like, him playing on an acoustic guitar would ring out through the whole place. But then you get, like, guitar amps up there and stuff. It's going to ring completely differently. Yeah, no, exactly. I'm sure he was just experimenting with the sound, so it probably wasn't even as good as it needed to be. And you know Dylan, he wants to just do stuff right when he thinks of it, so he probably wasn't as prepared as he needed to be either. Well, and, you know, because of these boos, he ended up grabbing his acoustic guitar for the last song, and he ended up playing It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. Which, of course, probably made everyone like, oh, no, we forgive you. (laughs) Well, can you imagine how freaked out Bob Dylan would be at that point? Because he'd never been booed. Yeah, he he probably felt like a legend up until that point. And he was like, I could do no wrong. And then he did wrong. And he's like, I did wrong. No. (laughs) (laughs) But that's how big of a deal it was. Yeah, it it was a rumble. And so we got my next dude check out this song. Subterranean Homesick Blues. Boom. Maggie's Farm. And It's All Right, Ma. I'm Only Bleeding. Oh, man. And I just realized I missed a big song from this one, too. Uh, We definitely got to put Bob Dylan's 115th Dream on that. Yep. That was the one I was just about to call you out for. (laughs) Bob Dylan's 115th Dream is the most important song on this album. It's just because I think it's my favorite song on this album. This is another one of his, like, funny songs, too. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Subterranean Homesick Blues is one of those songs that will uh, probably go down in my top 100 forever. But 115th Dream is just too good. Okay, though. Subterranean Homesick Blues. It's about being a drug dealer, right? something like that or dealing with drug dealers or dealing with the cops. I don't know. I can't tell. He writes it so weirdly. He does. But the, every time I listen to that song, the imagery I get is like drug dealing. Cause like the CIA or I don't know if it's a CIA, but like the government's watching them and yeah, well, and it also kind of comes down to, I, it has a lot of uh, overtones of paranoia and things like that. So you don't know, like, you know, the, with the multiple points in the song, he refers to like, you know, the government like bugging his phone, but the way he says it, you get the point where it might be he's crazy and believes that and it's not the truth kind of implication. <laughs> so I don't know. Well, anyway, this would be Bob Dylan's first million seller record. For good reason. Yeah. With rock and roll on it. Think about how all those folk fans are going to think about that. His first rock and roll album or at least his first album with rock and roll on it is his biggest seller. He's going to they're going to feel like he's a big old Judas cuz he's a sellout. <laughs> oh, oh what? <laughs> and so on May 10th Dylan would end a short tour in England. You know, I mean, getting pretty popular over there, folk guy, you know, they're just getting into like that kind of American folk scene themselves. Yeah, we've talked about the British transition where all of our music slowly transitions over, but Bob Dylan did in like real time. He became well, like a, a local tradition real quick. And this is also around the time of pirate radio starting too. Yep, and as well as the Beatles and uh, Bob Dylan hanging out happened in this whole generation where people say that Bob Dylan gave Beatles weed for the first time. <laughs> yeah, they'd never done a drug before yeah, that. I hope that that's true. I don't like that's just for the folklore. That's so good. And 
even though he was doing his acoustic stuff, he was starting to get, you know, tired of playing his old songs. You know, especially as he recorded them, because it's Bob Dylan. You know, he's probably ADD or something. I don't know. But... <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got something. <laughs> he's got some sort of attention deficit disorder. He'd say about this, I was playing a lot of songs I didn't want to play. It's very tiring having other people tell you how much they dig you if you yourself don't dig you. <laughs> oh, that is fucked up. That is actually kind of like painful when you think about it. Yeah. But this is around the time when he's, you know, super blowing up. Yeah. You know, no, he's I, actually famous, like legit famous, not just in the folk scene. He's legit famous now. Yeah, no, exactly. And he's not just famous in music either. He's world just famous at this point. And Dylan had brought Joan Baez along on the UK tour, but he was already living with another chick in his, uh, place at the new york's chelsea hotel <laughs> damn it dylan <laughs> with a lady named sarah lounds oh shit loans l-o-w-n-d-s i uh, loans sounds right i guess and they would get married in fact in private like secretly like people <laughs> didn't know about this while he was still with joan Baez. i couldn't figure out the timeline for that one but it kind of seems like during pretty, this pretty tour- close well, it kind of seems like during this tour, they're growing apart already anyway. And you had this other chick back at home that he was more in love with. And uh, Okay, so it was, it was kind of a, a separation. Like, he not, was already falling out of love yeah, with her. But not official yet. That's kind of... It's still fucked up. Still fucked up. And also, to add to the confusion around this time, Bob Dylan would start using amphetamines. Oh, yeah, because that's always a good idea. Because here at Do Check Out the Song, we recommend that you just do amphetamines. <laughs> Drugs are always a great option. Sarcastically, we say. Bing, that's the asterisk. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we put that sarcastically. Yeah, we need enough. to make sure the sarcasm really comes through. <laughs> don't do amphetamines, you assholes. You fucking dumbass pieces of shit, Bob Dylan. Well, and so one of the Bob Dylan hanger-ons around this time named Marianne Faithful would say, they were all so fucking high. <laughs> Every five minutes or so, some would go into the bathroom and come out speaking in tongues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they're, they're fucking doing meth and shit. And it's not even, they're not even smoking meth. They're doing like... Like They're straight, doing old school amphetamine, yeah, man. like like fucking German, and probably German, railing them too, yeah, like German Nazi amphetamines, yeah, exactly. Oh, like that's the same <laughs> shit that they were taking. Like <laughs> pill form amphetamines. Well, fuck. I mean, amphetamines in general are terrible, but like you know, I don't know. <sighs> don't do drugs, guys. At least. Well, and so on May twelfth, Bob Dylan had some London sessions booked. You know, for some jam sessions, and this would feature 20-year-old Eric Clapton on guitar. These sessions did not go well. No? What what happened? Did you hear that, though? He had Eric Clapton on yeah, guitar. Yeah, yeah, I got the Eric Clapton part. I was, I was excited, and then you were like, they did not go well. So now I'm like, uh, what? So let's quote Eric Clapton on this. He said, he was sitting at a piano, and we just joined in. It was a jam session. And so they'd play for something around two hours, not getting anywhere. Some musician named Bobby Newworth would say to Clapton, you're playing too much blues, man. He needs to be more country. I do that in a British accent, but I can't. (laughs) 
But I've been there. I've had those moments where, like, I've played with really good musicians and it just didn't click because the styles weren't, like, right. Oh, yeah, that that happens to me, too. Yeah, I mean, it happens to everybody. I mean, like, I, I remember one specific event, uh, me, you, and uh, a band that you were playing with who was more of a punk band tried to get together and I brought my synthesizer and everything and it just... It just didn't work. It just was a flat, like, I, I couldn't click. We couldn't click, like, as a group or whatever it was. And, you know, it really makes sense because none of the people who were really there that day have ever really been, in a, like, the, the big project besides the band that was kind of the core of what we were, you know, experimenting with. You got, but, the, you got the groove or you don't. <laughs> but eventually Bob Dylan would go back home, start recording his next album. My personal favorite. Bob Dylan album. Oh my God, this one is so good. Highway 61 Revisited. No mo, no mo. And so this would be the first time he ever had an entire album where it wasn't just him and his acoustic guitar. Oh yeah, like his whole first album that has a band. Yeah. It would have songs like a Rolling Stone. Oh, so good. Yeah, probably like his most famous, I would say. That and maybe Hurricane. we've said this a few times but i'd say he's probably has like 10 of his most famous songs and this does make the list and he you know he'd have his like super epic 11 minute song desolation row yeah which is great it takes a lot to laugh it takes a train to cry Mm -hmm. tombstone blues yep from a buick six so good fun fact about this one what you remember when we first started like jamming and we had Timmy on guitar, and I was playing bass. Oh, yeah, for that very, very short time. Yeah. Good old Tim. I, I wonder <laughs> what's happened to him. Uh, Hopefully he's not listening to this. <laughs> well, uh, we didn't say anything bad. I was just wondering I what happened true. to him. We called him Timmy. I don't think he ever liked being called Timmy, but beyond yeah, well, that. You know, <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> now I hope he listens to it. <laughs> but anyways, continue. So... Yeah, when we were first jamming, I had no idea how to play bass because that's what I was going to be playing in this band. Yeah, just because we made room for him for some reason. And so, (laughs) yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. (laughs) So From a Buick 6 was the first song I ever learned how to play on bass. Nice, That's, that's actually really cool. Yeah, it's a super repetitive bass line, and it was, like, way more advanced than how I knew how to play it, and I just... Fucking grinded it out and learned how to play it. There you go. I just put the album on, or the not the album, but I put the song on repeat and just go to town. Well, and I mean, listen. One of the things that like you have as a quality of a musician is you you really do know how to grind it out. Not a lot of people have the the patience and wherewithal that you do to really like practice things the way you do. For me, it comes from a level of frustration where it's like I almost fucking have it <laughs> yeah like a perfectionist kind of angle <laughs> yeah i've been uh going back to the towns van zant episode i've been learning the song lungs yeah and i almost have it down but there's one note i can't fucking hit and it's driving me crazy <laughs> like a stretch you can't hit or is it no it's just weird timing for the placement of this one little note oh yeah and when i have this one little note i can start singing to it <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's always one of the, the the last little hurdle that is always for some reason 12 feet tall but anyways continue highway 61 well 
Funny you mentioned that because that's the last song on my dude check out the song is Highway 61 Revisited. That, that's the last song you do check out the song? Yeah. The last one that the, the, you, you didn't forget any really important songs. I probably did. Uh, one song that I would give an honorable mention for uh, Highway 61 is Tom Thumbs Blues. Yeah, I thought about putting that one on too because, like I said, this is my favorite, like, listen all the way through Bob Dylan album. Yeah. I mean, it all the whole album is great, but we can't give everyone a do or every song a do check out the song. So he only gets an honorable mention. Honorable mention. All right, adding it to my list now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't patronize me, you bastard. And so, between 1964 and 1966, over a hundred artists had already covered Bob Dylan songs. <laughs> that makes sense. He does have like that. Yeah, he makes really good songs, but when people cover his songs, they're so good. Yeah, it's it kind of goes back to that old trope of when you make a really good song, someone else covers it and makes it even bigger. Yeah, exactly. Except for nobody made it bigger than him. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's like the Bob Dylan thing is all of his songs are really good. And then when p- talented musicians cover his already really good songs, they become epically good. Well, right. He'd be covered by like the birds and the turtles. Yeah, some like serious fucking league or fucking good bands well like especially like with the turtles you know they had that one pop song that just yep if you hear it yeah yep i I don't even want to think about it it's gonna get stuck in your head moving forward but yeah this album top 10 hit top 10 top 10 and now it's you know time to complete the trilogy right complete the trilogy this is like his big trilogy the the trilogy the three the three albums that really really matter in the bob dylan scope and so i mean we probably won't even cover probably much more than that because this episode has already gone so fucking long compared to yeah this is easily gonna be our longest episode i mean we may just want to throw a to be continued on after that (laughs) and do like a part two at some point I don't know if I want to do the research for his like <laughs> <laughs> 30s and after. All right, we'll just leave a. I, no- I'm. I, we're gonna like just briefly, briefly go through that. Okay, so that, that that's fair. Uh, I just want this, this is the important parts of his story. Yeah, I don't want to subject our poor fans to three hours of us, you know, fanboying over Bob Dylan. But yes, he would go in and start recording for Blonde on Blonde. Oh, yes, Blonde on Blonde. When, and not only does the name imply so much just on the album alone, the fucking album is <sighs> just great. Like, <laughs> so... Well, many people consider this to be his best album he ever did. And it's it's so off the what he's used to. It was different from his style. It was technically proficient it was beautiful every song was so good are you gonna lay us down with some dude check out the songs from this album oh of course but we're not there yet and so blonde on blonde was actually the first what would be considered rock and roll double lp yeah because it it is it is two full albums correct yep yeah it's uh, i actually i have actually a lot of bob dylan on vinyl now that i think about it but no, I, I, I have remember this one. you do have this one because you and I have busted this vinyl out very drunkenly at four in the morning many times. Yeah, my needle didn't appreciate that. And so during the recording process for this album, after five recording sessions, almost the entire time it took to record Highway 61 and two days more than it took to record Bringing It All Back Home, they had one song. <laughs> 
<laughs> for a whole year for a whole year yeah, one song oh and they, they they need two full albums worth yeah and this is with a band called the hawks which would later just become the band yeah it's a small band some of you might know called the band we mentioned ronnie hawkins before i'm pretty sure the name the hawks is related to that yeah makes now sense. looking into this yeah it makes a lot of sense and at the producer Bob Johnston's suggestion, despite Bob Dylan's manager, Albert Grossman, protesting this, Dylan and two members of the Hawks flew to Nashville for a session in February and March of 1966. The rest of the songs on this LP were recorded in seven days. Oh. So think about that. Double LP, got one recorded after long sessions, seven days. Done. The rest of them yeah that's 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 one of those quintessential like it takes a really long time to get the formula down and then you hit that formula and you're like no we're fucking ready yeah Let's do once it. you once you find the right atmosphere it's go time yeah no I, i'm the same sort of guy like i've gotten creative projects where i'll get to a certain percentage and i'm like oh no everything like the base is just laid let's do this and so on may 16th 1966 blonde on blonde comes out oh yes and it would have songs like Rainy Day Women, number 12 and 35, which you so politely pointed out to me in my youth that you multiply those together. Yep, makes 420. Hitler's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> also, my favorite thing is this song, uh, for a little uh, for a little dude check out this song lore, uh, this song is Ian's favorite karaoke song. It really is. When Ian busts out some rainy day women, it is a it is a sight to behold. But you have to make sure to give him like eight or nine beers <laughs> first. Uh, the only song you'll see me performing karaoke. Yeah. So if you never heard this song, this song is intonated uh, uh, by its chorus line: "Everybody must get stoned." And so it's always you know framed like you're getting stoned, like medieval times, like oh stone them, you're bad. But uh, it's not. That's not what he's talking about at all. It also have songs like Pledging My Time. So good. Leopard Skin Pillbox Hat. So fucking good. Visions of Johanna. Amazingly good. I Want You. Yeah, I, me too. Just Like a Woman. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Fourth time around. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, okay, but... Uh, honestly right here do check out the song right time right now yeah yeah but uh I, for preferences fourth time around is my favorite bob dylan song it's a mix-up between that one and i want you yeah these are these are legendarily good songs and fourth time around is it's got everything good about bob dylan mixed with some of the greatest instrumentation of all time and just if you give no other listens after listening to the podcast just listen to this one song or I want you. I mean, okay. Or listen to Ian's recommendation and be wrong. Well, let's get to my do check out the song. Let's see what I recommend. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, go ahead. And then I'll clean up after you. I got Rainy Day Women. Yep. Pledging My Time. Hell Visions yeah. of Johanna. Yep. I Want You. Yep. And Fourth Time Around. Hell yeah. But like I said, the last album's probably my favorite, but this album has my two favorite Bob Dylan songs ever. I personally just think the last album is a little bit more listenable all the way through. But the songs on this album are fucking amazing. How's my list, Pat? Okay. Well, you did really good this time again. Uh, but you forgot Stuck Inside a Mobile with the Memphis Blues again. Yeah, that's another good one. Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands. 
you know, I, I, honestly, once again, it's another situation where we could throw all of the songs from the whole album on. But no, I'm not going to push any further. I just want to make sure that those songs are represented because they are so much just good. And so, you know, after releasing this, Bob Dylan does another tour. Hell yeah. And this is when he just gets harassed by the media. <laughs> and this is where the, the best event of his whole career happens. Oh, yeah, we're getting to that. All right, we'll lock onto it. Come on, bud. And so, you know, kind of the whole way through Bob Dylan's, like, shows were getting, like, a lot of attention for being all electric. He'd end up getting to Manchester... And, you know, plugged in Bob Dylan was less legitimate than acoustic Bob Dylan. That's the way it was. (laughs) Yeah, it really did. It proved to be true. Like, at least at the time. Artistic integrity aside, it it became very obvious very quick that Bob Dylan with electric was not as marketable as Bob Dylan as Bob Dylan. And so they decided to market that he would do a set by himself. (laughs) Well, I mean, he did. Yeah. Of course. But first, him and his band would go on. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, of course. Duh. And then the incident. Judas! Yeah. <laughs> it's honestly one of my favorite, favorite like, factoids slash moments in music history. Yeah, what does he say there? No, I don't believe. You're lying or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe you. You're a liar or <laughs> whatever. Like, <laughs> like, this fucking random British guy just decides to yell Judas from the crowd at him while he's setting up his electric set. And, like, it wouldn't have mattered at all if it didn't offend him so much in the moment. You can, like, yeah, really Yeah, he tell. gets really pissed off. Like, you can just tell, like, that's that's the one thing that crucified him. And I use that, that term on purpose, you know what I mean? Because... For him, I think that that biblical mythology slash imagery is really strong already. So being called Judas by a crowd of people who are supposed to be your worshipers is, you know, that's, that's <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's really damaging if you're a methed out weirdo. Well, I mean, at this point, he probably had enough of all the media anyway, because everything was about, like, why don't you write protest songs anymore? And then you go, I never wrote protest songs, you know? And yeah, if you watch that No Direction Home, they have a lot of, the like, live footage of them him at this point, where they're, the media is literally like, where's your protest song, bitch? Like, oh, my God, what the yeah. fuck? And he's just like, like, uh, he's, I think Ian was referring to a specific moment where Bob Dylan literally goes, what do you mean? All my songs are protest songs. Yeah. Like, like, what do you mean? I'm protesting my protest songs with my crap, with my, you know, what you guys think is crappy rock and roll songs. See, I thought he was saying he was protesting them. That's what I, yeah, that's exactly. That's what I mean. Like, you know, all my songs are protest songs. So that means when I'm playing something you don't want, I'm protesting you. Like, that's, that was kind of the intonation of what I, you know, read off. Yeah, of. that's, that's where I, thought of it as yeah and you know it it could go one way or the other but tour you know he got it done needs some time to relax starts cruising around on his bike oh no july 29th 1966 he would be injured in a motorcycle accident outside of his home in woodstock new york yep and apparently he would suffer serious injuries yeah a vertebrae in his neck concussion you know he was reportedly in critical condition. Some biographers question whether it was really that severe or not. He even supposedly had amnesia. 
Yeah. For like a week or something. Yeah, he played it up a whole lot. I think more than anything, this crash hurt his psyche. I think this crash really affected him internally more than it affected him physically. Well, I wonder if if he truly had a concussion, maybe something got rattled in there too. Well, yeah, the concussion will change your shit up. I mean, Ian, you should know that. I do know that <laughs> little little bit of dude. Check out this song lore. Ian doesn't have any smell or sense of smell because Ian took a very very bad wipeout on a skateboard going down a hill. I did like what ten years ago now, right? It's been a long time. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's like it'll be it'll be eleven next year in May. Yeah, it's March. Uh, March. Yeah, like I, I I remember the day like I got calls like Ian's in the hospital. He busts his head open on a skateboard, like heading <laughs> down the hill, like <laughs> and it, it's now since we're this far away, I can laugh because it's not only funny because you lived, but it's also funny because you can't smell shit. <laughs> literally, literally can't smell anything. Yeah, it's it's my favorite my favorite Ian lore. In fact, you're the reason why I discovered I couldn't smell <laughs> because you came over to smoke a bag with me. Yep. And you're like, dude, check this out. This is the, and this was before weed was legal. So you had to carry it around in a fucking <laughs> in a fucking uh a sandwich zip, bag. A little sandwich bag like back in the day before it was before it became a reasonable society. <laughs> and so anyway, you're like Dude, this is the stinkiest weed I've ever had. And you open it up <laughs> and I go to smell it. And I'm like, uh, dude, you're fucking with me. <laughs> no, no. And you're like, what are you kidding me? People were staring at me on the bus. And I'm like, dude, it smells. There's no smell. dude. dude no. <laughs> and then right at that moment, my roommate walks in. Granted, we're in my room. Yep. And he goes, holy shit. Who's got that stinky ass weed <laughs> from the front door? <laughs> yep, exactly. So, like, I don't know. That's <laughs> that's that's your Ian lore for the day. <laughs> and so, back to Bob Dylan. He would tell a biographer that an oil slick caused him to lose control, but playwright Sam Shepard would say that Dylan told him that the sun blinded him and he got thrown from his bike. <laughs> So, in a typical Bob Dylan fashion, no real truth comes forward. It is all about what myth he wants to make up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But after this accident, he became a recluse. He did not play live for eight years after this incident. Yikes. Now, the real question is, was it the accident that caused it or him getting called Judas? Yeah, no, exactly. Like, is it like the whole situation? I you almost get the feeling like the accident could have been just a lucky coincidence, you know? Right. And like he he used the accident to be like, all right, well, I'm not I'm not doing that anymore. I don't like to be ridiculed in public. Yeah, and remember, all these stories are coming from a guy who once claimed to be Bobby V. Yeah, once claimed to be another person. Yes, exactly. But he would continue to record, like he'd come out with John Wesley Harding. A great album. Yeah, and we're getting closer to the end here. I'm going to kind of jump through these albums a little bit more, just because his first seven took so much time. And sweet God, yeah, like our runtime already is well, well beyond what any of our episodes have ever been. So we need to make sure not to uh, rush it too far or run it too long. You know, he'd also really start releasing like country albums like Nashville Skyline, which I only mentioned because his voice changed so drastically. Yep. 
And, you know, supposedly, like, his voice changed so much because he quit smoking, but I don't know. He sounded like that in his 20s, so I yeah. think he was going for something different. Yeah, exactly. And so this brings me to my next dude. Check out the song. We got Lay Lady Lay from Nashville Skyline, and I put this on there because I'm not even a big fan of the album, but you guys do need to, like, see how drastically his voice changed for this. Yeah, and it, and it really is, like, it's a, it's almost back to, like, his folk roots, but with a lot of country laid onto it. And then I got the song John Wesley Harding and Ballad of Frankie Lee and Judas Priest from the John Wesley Harding album. Yeah, and, and Ballad of Frankie Lee and Judas Priest oh, is another song that holds another top ten slotting for me because that song is uh, very well and worth the listen. Jumping ahead a little bit more, Bob Dylan will begin touring in 74 again. Eight years is up. He's on tour. Hell yeah. In 75, he'd release Blood on the Tracks. Another fantastic album. Another great album. Honestly, like probably his last great, great album. And this was his 15th, 15th studio album. Wow. 74. First album came out in 62, 12 years, 15 albums. Yep, that's, that, that is, shows his proficiency, and that doesn't even count the amount of bootlegs you can find now. If you really look, you can find a 1964 version of bootlegs that is fucking ridiculous. Yeah, he gets to Zappa levels of creativity. And there's also a 1963 or 1962 set of bootlegs that you can get your hands on, too, that are very worth listening to. And honestly, like Bob Dylan's bootlegs, all of them are just as good as his albums, so... Not all of them. There's some bad ones out there, in okay. my opinion. Yeah, there's not all of them hit the quality, but there is a large amount of hidden gold in them, I should say. Yes, hidden gold's a good way to put it. And so, yeah. Oh, shit. I just realized I forgot to mention an album. I forgot to put Desire in my notes. Oh, shit. So, yeah, Desire's barely really worth, you know, worrying about. So, we'll get to do check out the song, though, and I guess I'll throw on Isis from that album from Desire because I forgot to mention it but I'm just trying to mention some some of the albums he came out with afterwards that were you know big I've got Idiot Wind Tangled Up in Blue Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts which are all from uh Blood on the Tracks very good very good songs which that album is interesting to me because Years later, he came out with the New York Sessions of Blood on the Tracks, and they were a lot more stripped-down versions of these songs, and I feel like half the album sounds better on that one, and half the album sounds better on this one. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, the one the one song that I always go back and forth on is uh, Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts. Like, I like the, the first version, but I also really like the later version, and I can never decide which version I like better. That's also a seven-minute-long song, too. Yeah, well, it's, yeah it's, it is a novel of a song, like a lot of Bob Dylan songs. When I noticed when we were listening earlier, like, all of his jams that we really like are at least five minutes. Yeah. That, like, a lot of the stuff that makes this list, you're prepared for some long songs yeah. and a big list. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope that your commute's extra bad, and I don't mean that to as, like, a curse to you. I just mean uh, there's going to be a lot of extra songs to listen to this week. In 78, Bob Dylan would start another tour with a band that kind of resembled, like, a Las Vegas lounge act. With this band, he'd come out with, like, Street Legal and, in 79, do Live at Budokai. The conclusion of the tour in 78, Dylan was a born-again Christian. Oh, of course, yeah. This is the first time he switched religions. And so, you know, of course, the first album after he's a Christian comes out with Slow Train Coming. 
this is this is actually I, I I really get rid of most of the albums in this era. Slow Train Coming is actually like pretty fucking good. Yeah, I actually have this one on vinyl, but we're gonna do check out this one and the two songs from this album, Slow Train Coming and Gotta Serve Somebody, those are like the hits of this album. Um Man gave names to all the animals. Okay, yes, I did forget about that one, which is funny because I forgot about it because I literally just bought my nephew the correlating book that goes with this song. Yeah, it, 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 it was turned into like a children's book, right? Yeah, and actually the artwork in it is fucking cool, dude. Yeah, and so yeah, Man Gave Names to All the Animals is what the only one I'm going to add to this, and that's just because, you know. That's a fun little yeah, it's song. Just, it's a little, it's a good ditty. Woody Guthrie can write children's songs, so can Bob Dylan. Yep, that I and I think that was kind of the point too. Well, and he actually has like six or seven children's books out that he wrote himself. Yep, uh, he's just kind of carrying the torch. You know what I mean? In 1988, jumping ahead in time again, he would start what would become known as the Never Ending Tour. And that same year, he'd appear on an album with a band called the Traveling Woolberries. Oh yes. This was a super group of George Harrison, Roy Orbison, Tom Petty, and Jeff Lynne. Yeah, you would think with that crew, you would you would think they would be the most famous band of all time. But for some reason, it just, it was good, but... And that's why there's only one song from this album I do check out this song. Tweeter and the Monkey Man. Yeah, I was going to say the only one worth really, really listening to, Tweeter and the, the Monkey Man. The only one you could tell Bob Dylan wrote the lyrics to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they should just let Bob Dylan do all the lyrics and then the rest of them just sang the songs. But, you know them. They were all uh, inflated egos. Yeah, at that point. Well, I guess Roy Orbison would. No, he'd have been up, old school at that point. He'd end up dying, like, I think it's either shortly before or shortly after this album came out. Yep, it was one of the last things he ever did. Yeah, for sure. But funny little story, the reason why Tom Petty got onto this album is because they were all jamming, and they I guess they'd go play live at random bars and stuff, and people would just be like, oh, my God, it's Bob Dylan and George Harrison and that blind guy from the 50s. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, and then Tom Petty and, then, and his fantastic Bob Dylan impression. No, so Tom Petty came in to the picture because they were – looking for more guitars and they were recording in like the Hollywood area or something. And they were like, Oh, you know, who's got a lot of guitars, Tom Petty. He's just like a couple houses down. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. Well, especially Tom Petty, like legendarily does a really good Bob Dylan impression. Yeah, (laughs) half of his music is Bob Dylan impressions. And that's not like deprecating Tom Petty, whatever. If you like him, you don't like him. I'm not trying to, you know, sway anyone's opinion. Pat's putting up his fist right now. He's ready to fight. (laughs) But dude, legitimately, uh, he's he's doing. He was highly influenced by Bob Dylan. If if not an impression, he is highly, highly influenced. And so in the 90s, Bob Dylan, you know, would just play shows, paint and, you know, do some studio projects. Good as I've been to you. Time out of mind. Nothing I'm really going to mention on Do Check Out the Song because, honestly, I'm not really a fan of his 90s stuff. Yeah. So, 90s, here we go. Got anything to mention? <laughs> um, 90s Bob Dylan. Oh. Yeah, I have one, uh, one recommendation, and I'm cheating. 
I know you're cheating. In 1991, there was one of the best bootleg series of Bob Dylan's ever released, and it has one of my favorite tracks on it of all time. Fucking cheater. The live version of Who Killed Davey Moore on the 1991 bootleg from Bob Dylan. That's the only dude check out for the whole decade. That's the song I was confusing with Hollis Brown. <laughs> yep. Who killed Davey Moore? Oh, is that the that that's the about the the African American killing then? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Um, well there we go. And that's that's even better. And I know he did the hurricane too, so that was kind of the same thing. Yeah, wasn't that one off desire too? <sighs> Somewhere in there. I can't remember. I have trouble remembering a lot of these later <laughs> albums. <laughs> Not just that, but we really fanboyed out on this one. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, I'm looking at the runtime on the recorder, and I'm just like, what the fuck are we doing? And so let's jump to 2016. Bob Dylan won the Nobel Prize in Literature. Hell yeah. For having created new poetic expressions with the great American song tradition. That's awesome. Like That, that really shows that he did like truly change music. Oh, yeah. Like. That and, like, I think everybody wanted to be a lyricist like him at some point. Yeah, I mean, I, anybody, I did. Anybody who was a singer-songwriter, that's what that's you how, wanted to be. In, yeah, exactly. Like, fucking 40 years later, 50 years later, I that I was still influenced that way. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of never-ending. And I I hope that maybe if just one or two people out there really, uh, really understand, well, you know, get the inspiration from what we're sharing here, I think we might have passed the uh, traditional along. And so we get to 2020. Oh, no. Not 2020. This, this wonderful, glorious year. <laughs> I, I just want to retcon this whole year. Anyways, what did Bob Dylan do this year? Well, with the global pandemic, he'd have to end the never-ending tour. <laughs> <laughs> you mean the tour that he partaked on like once every few years? But it didn't end. It finally ended. <laughs> Oh, well, only only the Great Plague should end the never-ending tour for Bob Dylan. I, <laughs> the Great Plague of 2020. I'm sorry, Dylan. That is that is truly sad. And honestly, I'm just super excited that in 2020 we can do this whole podcast, and I don't have to announce your death. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, like we don't have to talk about you dying because, Bob Dylan, you're going to live forever. You have to outlive me because me and Ian, we're already talking about it today. When, oh, fuck. He's going to die before this episode gets released. Not. <laughs> you cursed him. That, no, if we, if that happens. We, you so cursed him. No, if he, that happens, we can't even release the episode, Ian. If that happens, we're I'm going gonna... to be mad at you. That's not funny. You better knock on wood right fucking now, man. <laughs> 2020 was bad enough all right don't put 2021 in that sort of situation all right <laughs> i'm not doing anything you're the one sitting over there cursing bob dylan oh right now i'm fucking sweating now like <gasps> i'm sorry bob dylan i love you <laughs> pat wants to end this episode now so he can get back to his idol and pray to the the glory of bob dylan it's the god emperor himself <laughs> Also, on March 27th, 2020, he'd release a new song called Murder Most Foul, a 17-minute track about the JFK assassination. <laughs> Did not have time to listen to it. Sorry, guys. I didn't know that was a thing. Why did I not? I'm going to listen to it right afterwards. Yeah, and so he would release a bunch of other songs onto YouTube. 
that would eventually be his 39th studio album, Rough Rough and Rowdy Ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit, I'm going to have to listen to that track now. I don't know if you guys probably know this. Uh, yeah, you definitely don't. Uh, me and Ian have a little uh, inside mythology about the uh, the JFK assassination. A lot of our original material and our original band was based on the JFK assassination, kind of as just like a historical theme. So every time <laughs> that ever loops back, we always kind of like get a little chuckle out of it. And so 2020, Bob Dylan is the first artist to reach the Billboard Top 40 with a new album in each decade from the 1960s to the 2020s. Well, I gotta say, that's pretty impressive. 60 years. Dude, yeah. Like, at least, like, one album where, like, a bunch of people are listening to it every decade. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, we, we were able to, I mean, we definitely skipped over a whole lot of albums. I can't even explain to you how many albums we just had to literally yeah. skip over. And our, and our this is gonna be the longest episode we've ever done, and we still... Barely, barely scratched the top of how badass this motherfucker is. Yeah. And so the albums we did skip, you're going to have to do that research yourself. (laughs) Do check those (laughs) yourself, dude. Like, whatever. This is our first dude check. No, probably our second after the Zap album of dude check out the other albums on your own. Yeah, dude, do your own research. Dude, we can't do everything for you. (laughs) Did you know Bob Dylan has a conspiracy theory out there about him selling his soul to the devil? (laughs) No, I was not aware of this. Who the hell thinks Bob Dylan sold his soul to the devil? So, in an interview, he was asked why he's still playing shows despite his accomplishments and massive fame and fortune. Yeah. And he would say, it all goes back to the destiny thing. I made a bargain a long time ago and I'm holding up my end. (laughs) <laughs> so he he's just trolling people and people are falling for it. <laughs> when asked who he made a bargain with, he'd say, with the chief commander of this earth and the one we can't see. Oh, oh, so, he's like, <laughs> he, so it's like a God. He made a, he made a deal with God. He's got to just keep playing music. Oh, no, he made a deal with the devil. Yeah, well, one, <laughs> one or the other, the good devil. <laughs> and so that's what I got, man. Ending it with him claiming to sell a soul to the devil. I think it's time for some final thoughts. <laughs> I don't even, I can't even. You can go me. first. I don't even know what you want for final thoughts. I think I've well covered it. Bob Dylan is a legendary badass. No matter who you are or what you do, you should just appreciate how cool Bob Dylan is. I know that he catches a lot of flack in the modern era. and he's I know not, a lot of people don't like his voice either. Yeah, and a lot, you know, a lot of people think like don't like the impersonation or the impression of his voice but most of his music that we mentioned tonight does not feature that classic bob dylan nasally voice and you should probably a few of them do a few of them do no and i'm not i just said most of them but really just give it a chance because uh i did and like peace yeah (laughs) give peace a chance too i guess uh but mostly uh give bob dylan a chance and peace (laughs) you know Oh, my final thoughts, all I can really think about is our late teens, early 20s, where, like, Bob Dylan, no matter what we did, was playing somewhere. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and if it wasn't, it was, like, an album between Dylan Benjes. Like, oh, we got this other album of a different band. We should listen to this just so we have something besides Dylan to listen to for a minute. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, we discovered some pretty cool bands I still listen to in that day, but like there are some of these songs where I listen back to them and I can picture times of us hanging out. It, yeah, it was no, exactly. fucking weird. Yeah, no, it was exactly. really weird. And, eh. and it, it is such a nostalgic music. And I, I know like, you know, our nostalgia shouldn't necessarily be an identifier of what other people should listen to. But at the same time, like this is our podcast. We can nostalgia. About yeah, this exactly. One. This is our motherfucking podcast. You sit the fuck down and listen to us. Nostalgize. Nostalgistic. Let's listen to our nostalgizing. <laughs> We love you all so fucking much. Thank you for putting up with what is going to be over two hours of us just loving Bob Dylan and loving music and loving you guys and kind of loving each other. I mean, Ian's kind of cool, I guess. But I still love Bob Dylan, so step up on you guys. Yeah, woo. Bob Dylan's still, yeah, Bob Dylan's probably better than you guys. I like Bob Dylan better than the audience and Ian. And Ian probably likes Bob Dylan more than myself in the audience. But other than that, everybody else is on the same level, and we love each other. And to really show some love to us, just give us some stars, share our podcast with your friends, you know, check out our Spotify. Yeah, to just tell people about us. Like, we don't ask for much. We're not asking for any money. There's no donations we're asking for. We're not giving you guys Commercial ads. free. Commercial free. Just... All we want is to get better at what we're doing and share with more people. So, you know, just if you like what we're doing, share it with a friend. And thank you so much for coming to the last episode of this insane season and talking about... And at least there was no electroshock therapy in this one. Yeah, this is no electroshock therapy in this episode. And uh, we got to really talk about how fucking awesome Bob Dylan is. Because he is uh, pretty cool. And he's we're probably going to still keep bringing him up in like every episode. Just because it's what we do. He's our mascot. Yep. He's our god. He's our idol. And well, somewhere in there is the mythology of Bob Dylan. <laughs> and so for all of you who made it into the end of this extreme double-sized episode for the finale of season five, we love you twice as much as anyone who hit the stop button before this. See you next season.